Recently, I had an event in New York City. I had hundreds of people come and I brought actual real couples up on stage and did a mini podcast right there in front of everyone. It was awesome. And I'm very pleased to announce that I'm doing two more events. I want to let you know about it before anyone else knows. June 1st, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. June 4th in Boston. If you want tickets, you can get them at iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. Between now and May 3rd, you can use the pre-sale code RICHLIFE to get tickets. Again, June 1st, I'll see you in Philly and June 4th in Boston, iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. You know, money doesn't have to be boring. I get a lot of questions of people who have set up their accounts, who have money being saved, and they're like, what now? What's next? How am I supposed to design my rich life? That is why I created the journal. The journal is something you can do either on your own or with a partner. Imagine yourself 15 minutes in the morning, you have a cup of steaming tea, and you're sitting down following the prompts that help you envision what your rich life is. What's your perfect week? What's your perfect month, year? This journal is designed as a no-numbers journal. It's not technical, but it's going to help you understand what you truly value and also what you don't care about. I recommend you pick up a copy of this journal. You can do it solo or with a partner, and it will help you design your rich life. Get it at any bookstore now. I feel like my spending is genuine, but I feel like he doesn't think that it is. You do it to kind of check it off out of the box every now and then, and it's not like a genuine, we're in this together situation. I'm not going to be able to provide the life that she expects. Which makes you feel what? Like not good enough. Mm. Scared that that's where her mind goes first is the cost of things. Would you say that the things she brought up to you are shallow? Somewhat, yes. I hate that this is the subject matter. Like I just, I hear a lot about money. Like how big is the ring? Where is the wedding? These nanny things, like those aren't what's gonna get us through in the long run. Things can happen. If you had to bring up who's gonna pay for the meal ahead of time, Ashley, how would that make you feel? Annoyed. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because I want him to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> because he's my boyfriend. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, I feel like that is the gender role. Mm -hmm. Now that I've been in my job for the last five months making good money, I feel like I've contributed more, but there is still somewhat of that expectation of him picking up the check more than me. I just feel like on date night, it's more romantic when the guy does it. What do you expect when it comes to money? Do you expect your partner to take the lead on paying for things? Do you expect for them to buy you gifts? Do you expect for you both to chip in 50-50 for joint expenses? All of us have expectations around money, but very few of us actually interrogate our own beliefs. We almost never talk about our expectations candidly. We almost never sit down and share what we expect because most of the time, we don't even realize what we actually want. In today's conversation, you're gonna hear what happens when two partners have very different expectations of money. Meet Ashley and Josh, who recently started dating, and they've started to talk about moving in together and getting married and even having children. 
but they have an issue that they describe to me as 10 out of 10. Ashley thinks that Josh should pay for everything when they go out for date nights. As I speak to them, I start to peel the layers back of their expectations. And at one point, I was hearing Ashley dance around what she really wants. And I encouraged her to just say it out loud. She was almost physically unable to ask for what she wanted. You're going to hear more about this in today's episode. And as a little bit of background, Josh didn't mind paying for Ashley when she was unemployed, but he thought it would be temporary. So after she got a job, he was surprised that she still expected him to pay for certain things. Now, Ashley earns $140,000 a year. That's 70K base, and she's on track to earn 70K of commissions, maybe more. She has $18,000 of debt. Josh earns $160,000, and he has $70,000 of debt. Now, you may remember this dynamic with an earlier couple on the podcast, Pablo and Monique. That was episode 17, called, I Think He Should Pay For Everything Because He's The Man. This might seem like the same situation, but there are crucial differences, including the fact that Josh and Ashley are both in their mid-30s with similar incomes. Let's listen in to Ashley and Josh on I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I feel like there's always some sort of fight heightened around it based off of money and who's expected to pay. He feels like I expect him to pay for dinner. So I wouldn't say it's like a one-off situation, but last time we went out to dinner with them, I knew that he had some anxiety around paying. I don't think we've ever gotten out for dinner with them and the bill has been under like 200 or 250 a couple. I ended up picking up that check. So there wasn't a fight around the last time, but any prior dining experience we've had with them, he's quick to say no because he assumes that he will be picking up the check. And out of the last 10 times you've gone out with them, how many times has he picked up the check? Every time, except for the last time. (laughs) So why are you only mentioning the last time in that example? (laughs) Well, you said the last time. (laughs) Okay, okay. So nine out of 10 times he's picked up the check. The check tends to be at least a couple hundred bucks for the two of you, at least. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you propose, hey, you know, we want to go out with this couple next weekend. What do you think? What is that conversation like? I feel like it is me making sort of like excuses of why we're going out with them. Like, you know, we haven't seen them in a long time. You really like them. Just trying to like create some sort of like friendly environment around it. So he's not immediately thinking, oh, well, I have to pay for it. He does really like this couple very much. It just, we do have this history of only going to restaurants that cost a lot of money. And, and, you know, Josh, He really values spending money on experiences where I do as well, but I also love whining and dining. Notice the pattern. She's asking, he's deciding. It's a common dynamic. Personally, it's one that I hate. And you see it a lot in straight couples. It's almost always the woman asking, making the case, trying to convince her partner. And then the man sitting back, crossing his arms and coming up with reasons to shoot it down. I hate this dynamic because it's invisible to the participants. They don't even realize that it's a dynamic. And if you ask them why, they'll often be visibly startled. If I push, they'll often admit that, well, that's how their parents did it. 
I also hate it because they don't realize there are other ways. When I ask them, do you want to go the rest of your life with one of you trying to make the case for something and the other coming up with reasons to say no, they'll both readily admit, no, they don't want that. What they're missing here is having a common goal. You really should not be fighting over the price of asparagus or at a certain point going out to dinner. These are $3 questions or $100 questions. And ultimately, I want you to be thinking much bigger than this. So I just want to point this dynamic out to you because it's really common and it's often invisible to the people in it, but it can be very, very destructive. In the beginning of our relationship, I wasn't working for the first time in a long time in my life. So he was really paying for a lot of things during that part of our relationship. And once I started working at my current job, I do have some expectation of him paying for dinners on date night like that. What kind of expectations? Um, just because, you know, he's the man and he's the boyfriend. And I just come from that kind of world and environment where, especially on date night, I, I just feel like it's important for the guy to, to pick up the check. I think he actually does have a pretty good idea of what I want. And it's really come to light, I feel like, this last week. And we've had some pretty tough conversations about it. Like what? What happened? Uh, Josh, are you okay with me sharing? Or um, Yeah. Say the, the right thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we had specifically last night, we had a conversation just around us moving in together. And, you know, kind of just expectations about what the future looks like and getting engaged and married and kids. And, you know, I definitely have had a notion in my head. It doesn't mean I'm not willing to try something new or change it, but it definitely led to, to a really tough conversation and me crying and just being really upset and I could tell he was obviously visibly upset, and but it, it all ties back to money. Okay. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about these expectations. A lot of times, often with gender roles, especially, everyone's got these hidden expectations. Nobody wants to come out and say it because it makes it unromantic. And so people go 50 years resentful of their partner. All could be solved with a single conversation. So you mentioned he's the guy, he's the boyfriend, finish that sentence. He should pay because what? Because he's my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is the gender role. Mm -hmm. Now that I've been in my job for the last five months, making good money, I feel like I've contributed more, but there is still somewhat of that expectation of him picking up the check more than me. Um, but I just feel like on date night, it's, it, you know, it's more romantic when the guy does it. Okay. And if he pays for you, that means what? I don't know because I know that he loves me. I know it doesn't, has nothing to do with love or anything like that. It just is something I'm, I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Does it make you feel a certain way if he pays for you? I mean, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel, I guess, yeah, loved. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? At first you said, it's not about love. He, I know he already loves me. And yet 10 seconds later, when he pays <laughs> for me, it makes me feel loved. Yeah. Are there any other words you would use to describe how it makes you feel when he pays for you? Special. 
Mm-hmm. What does that mean? You know, that I'm the girl in his life and he wants to show his, that I'm special and that he loves me by taking, you know, me out to on date night. And it doesn't have to be a $200 dinner. Date night could be $75. Just it's date night. Mm. What if he doesn't pay for you? What does that mean? Normally, I feel like we've talked, well, we haven't had this situation on quote unquote date night where he hasn't paid, but like last weekend we went out just for like an easy Friday night dinner. I ended up picking up the check again. I did not tell him ahead of time. I just did it when we got there. I know that he would like me to tell him ahead of time. So he's not, I don't want to say stressed about it but he's not just automatically assuming that he's going to be picking up the check. And how about if it were at the dinner with this couple or any other friends and the bill comes and, you know, he just casually lets it sit for a while and eventually you pick it up and pay for it. How would that make you feel? I would probably be pretty upset afterwards in terms of like, not because I had to pay for it because you just like left it sitting there and I just wouldn't want to be embarrassed in front of our couple of friends. Okay. Let's play that out one more time. The bill comes and he pushes it towards you. I think that's rude. Okay. So basically no matter what, you're not going to feel good if he's not paying. Is that correct? Yes. And no, like, yes, I do want him to pay, but I wouldn't be upset paying in the end, but I would be upset with him either pushing the bill towards me or letting it sit just more out of like, embarrassment and not having had this conversation beforehand. Great. Okay. Thank you. I was gently pushing her to answer the question because I want to understand her beliefs about why she thinks Josh should pay. And from her answers, I have to tell you, I'm a little confused. She claims that she wouldn't be mad if she paid, but when I probed her, there's not a lot of consistency in her answers. I will say that I actually admire how honest she is about her beliefs. You know, when it comes to gender roles, they are some of the most subtle, invisible scripts that exist. There are tons of unwritten expectations when it comes to dating and relationships and gender, but very few of us are willing to say them out loud, to articulate them explicitly. Ashley is. So I appreciate that. But when I tried to push her further to understand why she believes those things, that was a different story. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind the scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 
for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us, if we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes peak tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that peak tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying peak tea, and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I feel like things should start off at more 50-50 uh, for this type of stuff, and then we go from there together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 50-50 to you, what does that mean exactly? I've mentioned that if somebody's budget is outside of what the other one's comfortable with or suggests something that the other one isn't necessarily like part of their normal deal, we should start at a more reasonable level. And then if the other, if we're comfortable elevating that, we should. So if we want to go to $300 dinner, like, hey, do you, you want to spend that right now? Yes, cool, let's go. No, is it not a good idea? Should we split it? But it should be talked about a little bit ahead of time because it, again, it kind of sours it. And as you mentioned, the expectation is that I'm going to pay for these every time. Even though I might be going into a dinner with or without this couple thinking about paying for dinner, I'm just not as communicative about saying that, don't worry, I know we're going out to dinner tonight. Like I've got this. Okay. Why do you think that is? Sometimes this is going to sound so weird, but it's like, I like want him to read my mind, but I know that he can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you had to bring up who's going to pay for the meal ahead of time, Ashley, how would that make you feel? Annoyed. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because I want him to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we just cut right to the end of it. Okay, so ultimately, you want him to pay for it. Okay, fine. You're being very open with what you want and what you expect. And so you're telling me that if you had to proactively start a conversation where you're going to have to go out of your way and say, hey, Josh, even though I want you to pay, I will have this uncomfortable conversation and I will pay, that would be annoying to you. Yes. And it would also be annoying to me if, you know, we, we said, okay, we're going to dinner Friday night with this couple. 
And if then he said to me, well, like, I really want you to pay for this. Like I would be annoyed. Would I because? say no to dinner because of it? No. But like, just because like it's date night, I want him to pay. Mm-hmm. Date night equals he should pay. Is that right? Most of the time. Yes. <laughs> Is that a hundred percent? No, because like, I think we have casual date nights where I'm more than happy to like pick up the check. It's like the nicer date nights. Okay. And why is that? Just because I feel like that's what should be done. Uh-huh. Keep going. It, it's just, like, it's what I've had in the past. It's what I've grown up with. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm used to. What, you know, back to that, what I expect situation. Yeah. Okay. I think I reached the end of what I can get from Ashley about her attitudes towards paying for dates. That last sentence really says it all. It's what I had in the past and it's what I've grown up with. So many of our money beliefs, especially ones in areas like dating and relationships, boil down to, I expect X because that's what I had and that's what I've grown up with. That can make perfect sense for the person saying it, but it can be very frustrating for the other partner in a relationship. I'm wondering, are you curious when this first started happening? When we first got together, you know, I knew that she was a you know, very capable, smart, you know, attracted to a lot of great things um, about Ashley. And, and she didn't have a job at the time. I know she had a job before. It was during the pandemic. So didn't typically judge that situation. Um, so really, these, these dinners are kind of a buildup of more of a, a history of things feeling a little out of balance. And I'm okay with some of the more traditional gender roles in certain ways, but I feel like it starts with balance and then you kind of see where things fall there. And I don't feel like we've really recentered since she's been working again because I picked up a lot of slack. You know, we maintained a pretty fun life last year beyond okay. dinners that was generally the same budgetary situation. So I feel like my spending is genuine, but I feel like he doesn't think that it is. Well, ask him. Is that true? Ask him. Josh, do you think that's true, that it doesn't feel genuine? Somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, it's a little bit pick and choose. You do it. I feel like to kind of check it off out of the box every now and then. And it's not like a genuine we're in this together situation. So I heard both of you explain that you want to be part of a team, which is great. You're both on the same page there. And I heard that both of you would like to have better conversations, preferably ahead of time. That's awesome. But now I just want to cut to the chase. So in your ideal world, Josh, you have this conversation about this dinner. So what's the decision you're both going to make? Who is paying? I think it's just based on what the communication is at that time. For example, if someone's recently hasn't received a, a bonus, or if they've made a payment towards some debt that we're trying to do, or it should just be towards our shared goals together at this point of the relationship. Like, Can I tell you something? Yeah. You want to have this conversation every time you're planning to go out to dinner? No, this sucks. I, 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 I Look think, at her face. Look at her face. What is she doing right now? So unromantic. I don't want to have this conversation every time we go out to dinner. Okay, okay. She just said something really important. Mm-hmm. What did she just say? And what do you want to do about what she just said? I didn't hear her. She said, so 
unromantic. Mm-hmm. That's like a huge red flag. When she says that those two words, so unromantic, you know what my first instinct is? If I'm in your chair right now, I go, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. What do you mean by that? Do you know, yeah. Josh, what she means by that? Those two words, so unromantic? Uh, I'd love her to explain. That way I don't assume. Please. I think it's, as especially as women, we all want some sort of fairy tale of, of some sort. You know, I'm not looking for the cupcake wedding dress uh, in the castle on top of the hill by any means like that. But in terms of romance, like I still want romance. I still want to be swept off my feet by him. And he does do so many thoughtful gestures. I mean, probably one of the most thoughtful gift givers I've ever met in my life. I'm really referring to more of like typical date night, get dressed up, go to a nice dinner. I just want to go have some good food, some wine, come home, be romantic with each other and not, you know, think about the check or the bill or who's paying or the conversation we had. And if it turns into a fight, because that's where it becomes unromantic. Okay. What does romantic mean to you when it comes to these dinners? Just unplugging, being just the two of us together and reconnecting after the week. And just being romantic and loving with each other and enjoying some good food and wine, our company. I want them to be fun and feel natural and applicable to our life at the moment. Meaning what? Meaning that that's within our like means and budget. But it's because, again, she mentioned that nine out of 10 times I have it. This wouldn't be a subject if there was a little bit more give and take. This yeah. wouldn't be a specific subject. I get it. And what would that number be that this would not be a subject? Right now it's 90-10. What would it be in your mind? 60-40, uh, 70-30. Somewhere where it's almost like it's not a surprise, like I'm falling out of my chair. Okay. You know what's interesting? The two of you, um, first of all, I love that you both want to communicate more. Yes, that's awesome. I'm going to show you how to do that. I'll tell you just point blank. It's super unrealistic to expect to go through this financial investigation before every dinner. It's just not going to happen. And that's okay. I don't think you both need to do that or want to do that. But what I'm hearing actually is you're naturally starting to develop these rules of thumb, but I don't think you've actually realized it. A college athlete's going to wake up at six because they need to go eat early before everybody else, et cetera. With money, and relationships, you're going to develop rules of thumb. Here's what I just heard. Ashley says, hey, I will happily pay for these types of dinners, but I would like you to pay for those types of dinners. Wow, that's a rule of thumb. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, and you two can certainly discuss it and negotiate over that, but that's a really interesting rule of thumb. Josh has mentioned it should be within our means. Okay, that's uh, those are just words. I would like to be a little bit more specific about that. What does that mean? Are we only spending X dollars or are we never ordering wine? You can discuss and negotiate that, but that's a rule of thumb. And you come up with two or three rules of thumb around these dinners, you never have to have these financial investigations ever. Do you see what I mean? I think having what you were just saying, like an agreement of all... Take, cover these types of dinners. If 
we go on a date night, you know, maybe say based on what's in what we can do to get out of, you know, our debt and all of that based off of what's in our budget, how many date nights can we go on in a month or every couple months he pays maybe there. And then there is obviously like, you know, we shouldn't spend over X amount. Can, can we just come up with these rules right now? I feel like we're all talking around them. Can we just do it? <laughs> I mean, I'm here. Okay. If, if it's a dress up weekend dinner where we have a nice dinner and, and nice wine or cocktails. Finish the sentence. You want me to give an amount, don't you? No, I want you, you haven't, <laughs> I want you to give me a complete sentence. You don't even know, but you are finding it impossible to say one part of this sentence. Give me a complete sentence. I want Josh to pay for the date night dinners, the week, the weekend dress up date night dinners. You look like you're physically in pain. <laughs> I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying watching this. Um, Josh, is this not fascinating? Because he's going to like hate me. This for is this. great. So, Josh, I know why I'm enjoying this. Okay. I have a very dark <laughs> sense of humor, but Josh, why are you enjoying this? Because it's good to explore these things and get them out. Uh, because we say that we communicate well, but we talk a lot. This yeah. Is- you guys talk so much. You use a lot of words to dance around specificity. I'm super uncomfortable. Why? Because I have to pinpoint exactly what I'm asking, looking for. And I don't, you know, A, want to upset Josh and B, I'm definitely a little scared to fully ask what I want. Why is that? Because I don't want it to like ruin or affect our relationship. It's so funny because like in my normal daily life, my work life, I'm very straightforward. I ask for what I want. I get what I want. I'm very convincing. Should have been a lawyer. But when it comes to personal life, it's scarier for sure, because I don't want to either say the wrong thing. Whether or not it's something that I want, I'm still scared to say the wrong thing to not upset the other person. And if you say the wrong thing and you upset your partner, what happens? Finish that sentence for me. I'm scared of him thinking that we don't belong together, which is, yeah. And then? And then, the- then we're not together. And then we break up because of it. Yeah. So deep down, this concept is that if I say what I really want, then he might leave me. Ashley is scared to ask for what she wants. She can barely even utter the words. This is a terrible way to live. It's how we minimize our dreams and shrink our desires until they're snuffed out like a dying candle. I see this pattern in all kinds of people, but it tends to be much more common with women. I've always said that I consider it a tragedy to live a smaller life than you have to. And here you can see how subtle this is. If you can't even utter the words of what you want, how can you ever expect to live that life? I would much rather that Ashley be open about what she wants, confident enough to have a discussion with Josh instead of hiding and hinting. It's not fair to him and it's not fair to her. Right now, she's playing this part of her life on defense. 
Now, the common reaction for people is to say, just ask for what you want. But that never works. There are layers and layers here. And I want to understand what's underneath her beliefs about money. I get tons of email every single day. And I want to give you a behind the scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman. And this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook. And let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams. So my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts. Unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to mark it unread. S to star it. J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages. Like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet, and it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash Ramit for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com slash Ramit. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T for a better, smarter sleep. What do you do instead? I mean, yeah, either hide what I want or I dance around the subject. She admits it. This is a huge moment of realization for Ashley. And I love that she didn't push back. Pushing back, denying it. That's the natural tendency of someone in her situation who just realized something profound. That makes all of us uncomfortable. So naturally, we tend to lash out or deny it. But not Ashley. She's listening. She's really taking it in. This is a very positive sign for our work together. I asked her to tell me more about her expectations for life. Now that she's had a breakthrough and she's being more transparent about what she expects from Josh... What else does she envision for her life? 
I'm hoping that my parents will pick up most of the tab for the wedding. How much? I don't know. What are we going to have to contribute? Mm-hmm. You know, talking about just starting to save for a family. Like last night, he said, well, we'll just like wing it. We're not saving. And I'm like, well, that gives me anxiety. Like you can't just like wing it. You can't, you can't wing it when you have a baby. Like you have to start putting aside money for when you want to get pregnant and have a child for the future. And that definitely kind of scared me a little bit and gave me a little bit of anxiety. Last week I was saying about having a nanny for like a little bit to help out with the baby at first. And then, you know, (laughs) he was saying that like, I live in this like rich world where that's not normal and who's going to be paying 50, 60 K a year for this nanny. And, and okay. And what is your, what is your thought about that? This is where it gets hard is because I grew up, I had a nanny, I had a housekeeper. Those were all things that were normal to me. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you have a vision for the kind of life that you want. You were pretty open with Josh about your vision and what you expect. Yeah. I want to compliment you on that. That's impressive. Okay. Now, Josh, what was your general tenor as you were hearing this? Like, what would you describe your body language as? I hate that this is the subject matter. Like, I just, I hear a lot about money. Like, how big is the ring? Where is the wedding? These nanny things. Like, those aren't what's going to get us through in the long run. Things can happen. Medical things can happen. Crazy things can happen where the money's going to be a challenge. You know, what about like, are we great partners? Do you trust me to take care of a child? Like through thick and thin, would we survive together regardless of what the outcomes were? You know, those are kind of what I was hoping to hear more of versus how much rings cost and things like that. Cause it kind of takes, it kills the vibe for me. Like I'm not, we've been together for a year. We'd love to propose as soon as the opportunity presents itself. But when I hear about the ring costs and picture, like it kills the vibe. It's, it's interesting when you it's say, about, yeah. it's interesting, Josh, you say that it kills the vibe. Mm-hmm. It reminds me very much of when Ashley said that it's not romantic mm-hmm. to talk about who's going to pay for dinner. Mm-hmm. Do you both see that you feel the same way, but you just use different language to describe it? I already got there before you even said it. I made that connection as soon as he said it. Yeah. And so, Ashley, when you feel unromantic about these pre-dinner conversations, how does that make you feel? I don't know. Try to articulate it. Yeah. um, Say it out loud. It helps you often find the emotion. When I think of Josh opening up Microsoft Excel to look at our numbers before we go to dinner, it makes me feel what? It makes me feel like we're already dampening the mood of the evening. It makes me feel like it's like just so rigid and unromantic. I mean, yeah. Now, Josh, finish the sentence for me. When Ashley talks about our long-term prospects, but the topics she brings up are the size of the wedding ring, where the wedding is going to be, and how we need to have a nanny, it makes me feel what? Like I'm not gonna be able to provide the life that she expects. Which makes you feel what? Like not good enough.
anything else? And like a little scared that that's where her mind goes first is the cost of things. Because? I value the deeper connection that I think that we have beyond that. And it's, you know, it kind of, yeah, it just feels not good enough, frankly. It's interesting you use the word deeper, that deeper connection. Yeah. Would you say that the things she brought up to you are shallow? Somewhat, yes. Yeah, I detected a resentment from you. And it was interesting that you took it all on yourself. When I just asked you, how does it make you feel? You said, it makes me feel like not enough, that I can't provide. But I also detected this latent sense of resentment that she would even bring these things up because they seem so shallow. Listening to what both of you just did right there, are there any insights that you take away from that? Ashley? Yeah, I mean, you know, to to talk about this last night and to to hear it again when I don't feel as like emotional about it, obviously it hurts and it it makes me feel awful because at the end of the day, like I love him so, so much. And like, I, I want to be with him and I don't want him to feel like he's not good enough or that I don't want him to resent me. And, and I don't want to resent him either. It definitely goes both ways. And I think we're kind of stuck between that rock and the hard place of having expectations and wanting to be together. But I think for us, the biggest thing is how can we tackle the debt that we have, get that out of the way so we can then focus on building a financially stable life together and hopefully get to the same end goals that we have about expectations that we do have. Love that. I love the way you put that. Okay, great. The thing I love about Ashley and Josh is that they're willing to be real. Ashley is telling us what she expects, and Josh is also telling us how he feels about Ashley's expectations. Interestingly, both of them tend to soften what they really believe. You heard that Ashley had trouble even saying the words, and Josh initially blames himself. So I have to probe in order for them to share what they actually believe deep down. Now think about that. If I have to ask this many questions to get to the real truth, do you think that they even know what each other believes? Do you think they even know what they themselves believe? I think their beliefs go a lot deeper than the spreadsheet. And we're starting to discover that. But they believe that their debt is the main thing stopping them from their rich life. How would you both describe your incomes. Josh, you make $160,000 a year. Ashley, you make $140,000 per year. How do you feel about that, Josh? It feels like less than it should. I agree. Like, it feels like $3 at this point with this economy mm-hmm. and where we live. So all bad stuff, you guys don't want to compliment no, yourself I mean, at all for making I think it's, a lot it, of money? 160,000 should be able to make more things happen potentially than I am and uh, would expect it to be a little more comfortable in certain situations with that income level than I actually am. Why do you guys seem so miserable about your income? Who's that guy on Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore? Yeah. He's always <laughs> depressed. 
Oh, how do you guys feel oh. about making 160 and 140? Oh, it sucks. Yeah, I mean, it feels like $3. That's what kind of hurts about it is I know that it's a good income, but because of the debt that the payments that I'm making and potentially some spending habits, it doesn't feel like I'm enjoying the benefits of achieving that level of income. And I, I don't think that my income is, 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 you know, crap by any means. I just, I think also coming off of a hard time during COVID where I didn't have a job for a while, finally having that income again, it feels, feels great. But like there is that debt cloud looming over me. Let me just give you one piece of directive feedback, Ashley. The fact is you make $140,000 now. That's really interesting, by the way, the way you described it in your document to me. Let me read it off verbatim because it tells you everything you need to know. It says, Ashley, 140K per year, 70K base plus 70K commission. That's clue number one. And then clue number two, it says, slash, I have only been at this job for five months, so I have yet to see my full commission and earning potential. What are those two clues telling you, Ashley? Why did you describe your income with all these caveats? Because that is that 140 is my projected income yeah. without having been at this job for a full year to see if I'm going to make my quarterly commissions. I won't know exactly what my annual salary is going to be. I totally respect that. I know how sales goes. How confident are you that you will make 140? At this rate, very. I'm doing very well at work. So can we just call it 140? Sure. Can we stop <laughs> discounting it and creating all these scarcity-based caveats that really give you an out from being specific about what you make and how much you can afford to spend? Yeah. Yes. What you did is classic scarcity. I see it so often. And I'm going to share what I see because I think it will be very illustrative to you. People who uh, grew up lower middle class, people who didn't have any money, people who were laid off or unemployed for a while, all uh, these groups, when they suddenly start to make a considerable amount of money, they refuse to believe it. They see the number on paper. I go, oh my God, you make a 70K or 100K, in your case, 140K. And you know what their first answer is? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, there's the commission and there's this and I haven't gotten this and I've only been here five months. It's like, you make 140K. Own it. Watch this. Ashley, how much money do you make per year? 140K. Great. How do you feel about that number? Great. Yes. <laughs> do you know five minutes ago you said it feels like $3 to you? Yeah. Because your mind is still in the land of being unemployed. you got to change that. One of the biggest problems in all of money psychology is being able to effectively turn the page. There are people like Ashley who used to earn very little, and when they start earning more, they simply cannot turn the page and acknowledge it. They continue to be cheap or worried or live a scarcity-based life playing on defense always wondering what can go wrong. And then there are people who earn a lot. Then something happens like a job loss and they refuse to turn the page by cutting their spending. They too are living in the past. My wish for you 
is to truly understand that with money, there are different seasons of your life. If you're young and you have no money, embrace it. Find cheap ways to travel. Be okay with living in a small apartment with three roommates, whatever. I look back on my early 20s and I love that I backpacked across Europe and I ate at Taco Tuesdays and I didn't care about buying some expensive sweater. There are other seasons of life. For some, it's getting married, having a family. For some other people, it's developing finer culinary tastes. I love to stay at nice hotels and I love to eat street tacos. You can blend your seasons. But here's the key. You must know what season of life you're in right now and you must know what season of life is probably next. When you know those two things, that lets you be present today and it lets you set yourself up for success tomorrow. If you are living out of alignment, if you're spending more than you actually have or you're underspending on what you can easily afford, you'll find yourself feeling nervous, and anxious and unsettled about money, like Ashley. I was watching this masterclass with director Ron Howard, and he was talking about how he has a checklist for his movies. He's asking himself, are the characters interesting? Are they reactive or proactive? Is it a page turner? And the funny thing is, we do something similar for this very show. This podcast, we have our own checklist. Do we have great guests? Is there a great story? Does it have a beginning, middle, and the end with stakes? And if you think about it, we are learning a lot from people like Ron Howard. Imagine if you could apply the lessons from the world's greatest instructors. Ron Howard, the creator of French Laundry, Chris Voss, Negotiation, and you could apply it to your own life. How much would it cost? Probably cost thousands of dollars just to take a one-on-one class if you could even get it. But with a Masterclass annual membership, it's $10 a month. You get unlimited access to one-on-one classes with over 180 Masterclass instructors, like how to negotiate a raise with Chris Voss, or how to manage your relationships with Esther Perel. You also, of course, get Thomas Keller from the famous French Laundry. And this holiday season, if you give one annual membership, you will get one free at masterclass.com slash Ramit. Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash Ramit, masterclass.com slash Ramit. Offer terms apply. I like companies that find innovative ways to save money, and then they pass those savings along to you. Take Mint Mobile, one of our sponsors. Unlike other wireless companies, they decided to ditch retail stores and all those overhead costs, and they passed those savings along to you. For a limited time, they're passing on even more savings with a new customer offer that cuts all Mint Mobile plans to $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I had one of my coworkers test out Mint Mobile. She said the service was identical to her existing Verizon account. So if the service is the same, switching to premium wireless for just $15 a month is a no-brainer. Now, you'll notice on this show, I recommend to couples ways to cut their fixed costs. If you can dramatically cut your fixed costs on, say, wireless, that is one way that you can take that money, pay off debt faster, spend it on guilt-free spending, or invest it aggressively. Go to mintmobile.com slash Ramit. That's mintmobile.com slash Ramit. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash Ramit. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
we can't afford, but it's like, I knew that we could because we just did, you know, we, we just went on this vacation. I went to this dinner and it was that kind of anxiety about money has, has passed down to me a little yeah. bit. How do you manifest that anxiety with money? <laughs> Apparently by getting into credit card debt. I was living in a world where it was very toxic in terms of keeping up with the Joneses and consumerism and materialism and specifics, please. What are we talking yeah, about? Uh, you know, handbags, shoes, what cars, kind? vacations. Tell me, I got to know the brands. Des- <laughs> Designer. Chanel. What else? Louis Saint Vuitton. Laurent. Yes. What else? You know, Gucci shoes and Manolos and things like that. that hey, like- good stuff. And were you earning enough to pay for these on your own? Yes. Okay. So you were making good money. You were spending essentially everything you made on this fashion stuff? That dinner's trips. Okay. And was there any consequence to this? Anything bad ever happened? No. No, not until I opened that first credit card. Well, even today, has anything really bad happened to you? Just the credit card debt. That's it. Again, I'm going to ask, has anything no really bad happened? No, never been thrown in jail for it. No one's no, ever come what? after I mean, me. Look, you're eating <laughs> tuna tataki. It's fucking great. Do you see that deep down? You go, oh my God, if I spend this money, I get these beautiful Manolos. And then if I spend more money, I get whatever bag or whatever trip. And yeah, yes, I know there's this bad thing, this credit card debt over here, but Really, has it affected your lifestyle whatsoever? Um, no, but I want to get rid of it because while as I've gotten older, and especially with COVID, the things that were material don't matter as much to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I'd rather spend my money on trips and experiences, saving for our future and for a house and all of those things are what are the most important things to me right now. Mm-hmm. I've I haven't bought a bag in a few years or nice shoes in a few years. And I'm happy with that. I just, for me, it's, if I didn't have that debt, the income that I have would be great. And I could start saving again. Like I did have really, at one point I had like 20 K in my savings that is depleted over the years based off of paying off credit cards, paying for trips, supplementing, you know, not having a job over COVID I feel like you're just really talking a lot to distract yourself. Do you even know what we're talking about right now? No. <laughs> what What's going on right now? What was my question? I don't even remember. Yeah. What just happened was very fascinating. I asked you, have you faced any real consequences? Oh, yes. And here we are, you know, 25 minutes later with you justifying, well, in the past, I used to do this, but I'm totally different. And if I had no debt, everything would magically be great. Do you really believe that's true? Probably not. So why are you bullshitting me? I have no idea. And more importantly, it's like the anxiety talking. Why are you bullshitting yourself? (sighs) I don't know. You are going to bullshit yourself right out of this relationship. I only say that because both of you told me it was a 10 out of 10. And Josh, you literally said to me, this is make or break. I did. Part of a rich life is being honest. It's being honest with yourself and honest with the people around you. That's really, really hard to do, especially when you have some desires that might be uncomfortable or even unpalatable to your partner. 
Ashley, if you truly want Josh to pay for all dinners and you want to go out to dinners six times a month, okay, we're going to put that out on the table. But then you need to be honestly prepared for if Josh is going to want to do that. More importantly, I don't want you to just live your relationship out of fear of what is Josh going to say. What I want to know is what do you want, Ashley? What are you willing to change? Because you told me it was a 10 out of 10. Otherwise, we're just here dancing around and using all these words and nobody even remembers what the hell we're talking about. It's a waste of everybody's time. So where should we go from here? Ashley, you tell me. What do you want to talk about? I want to constructively talk about realistic ways for us to combat our debt. Not, I mean, together, but obviously pay for our own. Try to see eye to eye on our, our views of money so we can move in together, continue our relationship, and not have these fights about money or uncomfortable conversations. Great. I'm with you. I think I can help. I love hearing that. Okay. Let's talk about the numbers. You make $140,000 a year. You know, when I look at the amount of debt you have, I don't think it's as insurmountable. I think that you could tidily pay this debt off. It'll take you a little while. Might take you a couple of years. Might take you four, five years, depending on how aggressive you get. But it's not that much. The way you talked about your debt, you talked about it like it was $350,000. 18K? I know. I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm not, I'm not someone that has $300,000 in debt. But to me, it's still a lot of money to pay off. It is a lot of money, but it's also not what's really keeping you from being successful with your rich life. What is? Well, let me put it this way. <laughs> if you had 3K of credit card debt, you would still feel the same way. If you had $0 in debt, you'll still feel the same way. And when you have $5,000 in savings and $10,000, you will still feel the same way about money. And why is that? You tell me. I, I guess the financial anxiety. Where does it come from? From my family. Mm-hmm. And they taught you what? Scarcity. Tell me more. What was the words they used? We can't afford this. Do you think that maybe when Josh says, you know, hey, we can't afford this dinner? It's triggering for sure. Uh -huh. And so your reaction to that is? To, to get upset. And then? Do you go to the dinner and spend on it? No. Yeah, you do. You go. Oh, me, I don't personally. He does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We go to dinner and then he pays for it. Yeah. Okay. I want you to both talk to each other and I want you, I don't need all the caveats and I, I don't need all the, well, you know, depending on this and that, just tell me what is going to happen, whether it's tomorrow or 20 years from now, if you keep this lifestyle up. Go ahead. We are going to end up one way or another not succeeding in our relationship or one of us or both of us will be unhappy. What does that mean in plain English? It means we'll break up and no longer be together. Yeah, if we keep going like this, we're going to continue to fight about money, not get to our realistic goals and break up. This is a fascinating conversation. 
The thing I love about Josh and Ashley is that they are open. They're being honest. I love that Ashley says, yeah, I expect him to pay for me. Do you know how few people would be open and own how they feel? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I agree with her, but I just love meeting somebody who's open about what they believe. Josh, he's feeling the frustration because he goes, why? It doesn't make any sense. We basically make the same amount of money. Can you please explain it to me? And now we start to get into all those soft, squishy, invisible scripts about money, about gender, about how we were raised and what we experienced before. These are the kind of things that nobody wants to talk about publicly. They all happen behind closed doors. That is why I started this podcast, because I want to show you that these conversations are happening and it's not just you. So what have we learned so far? Yes, they both have different beliefs about money. We've also learned that they have high incomes, but the way they talk about their incomes is fascinating, interesting, also troubling. They are now starting to realize why they haven't paid their debt off yet. Okay, It's not just math. In fact, this isn't a math problem. It's much deeper than that. And in part two of this conversation, next week, we are going to get into the fascinating nuts and bolts of how to change their views of money. Be sure to stay tuned because you will be fascinated by what happens next week. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't read I Will Teach You To Be Rich, my book, pick up a copy. You can get it at any bookstore or any library, and it will show you the specific tactics for how to build the I Will Teach You To Be Rich system into your personal finances. 